It's not enough to simply be the best product anymore. You have to show people why it matters to them. That's why positioning and messaging is everything. It's how you connect to what customers really care about, make your product's value clear, and stand out from the rest. Easy, right? No, it's not. But you can learn from folks who have faced and conquered these challenges before. So join me, Emma Stratton, as I talk to top product marketing leaders about the wild and wonderful world of messaging, the thrills, the spills, the hard-won truths, and the total myths, the adventures in messaging. Today, I'm super excited to be chatting with Jeffrey Rossell, Director of Products Marketing at Iterable. Hello, Jeffrey. Hello, Emma. Thank you so much for having me. It is awesome to speak to someone in New Hampshire. You're the first. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been great chatting to you about product launches. We're talking about product launches. And this is something that a lot of products marketers um, are faced with, launching a new product. Uh, you got to get that messaging right. You want to make sure it really lands with customers. And to do that, you got to understand who you're talking to and you need to do some research. So I'd love to know, you know, how do you approach researching new messaging for a product launch? Absolutely. Yeah, it's a great question, Emma. I, I, think, uh, I think a lot of times marketers, product marketers, um, uh, they... Uh, they find out like maybe what the, the the new product that they're launching is, or the net new feature that they're launching is, and they think maybe that's all they need to know, or or they they know that plus a little bit of tidbits of information about the market, and maybe that's all they need to know. But the um, but how that actual feature or product fits into their day, the actual use case it solves for all of the things that your target audience will actually do with that product or feature are so crucial to understanding actually how you actually want to talk about that and message that feature that um, uh, I think a lot of product marketers need to, you know, pause or, or tap on the brake a little bit there and back up a few steps. Um, <laughs> and, and I, I had um, a, a, a good, really good mentor, I would say a product marketing mentor early on in my career um, that basically said to me, uh, I think she may have phrased it slightly differently, but she, but she basically said, um, you know, launches are basically useless unless you do the research ahead of time. Oh. Um, and, and she, she was right. Um, because you could, you could position, um, you know, we could take any software company, any, any solution out there in the broader market today. Um, you know, Slack is very well known, of course, especially in this work from home remote work era. Um, and you know, you and I may position it very differently, right? Um, maybe right. your use case of Slack is, is different than my own, or, right. or, or maybe all the folks listening to this may have different use cases as well. So they may think of positioning it differently, but without truly doing that research and understanding how people are actually using your solution, it's really, really hard to get that messaging right. Uh, for me personally, um, I've had the fortune of working at a lot of wonderful places, uh, HubSpot most recently, and now uh, had the fortune of, of working at a wonderful place uh, called Iterable. And um, we, uh, we approach messaging and launches in a way where um, when a launch is, is kind of coming in the pipeline and we understand it to be a significant milestone event or, or a launch, that we will uh, purposely do a lot of research. We will do uh, research around what the uh, TAM looks like for that market, total addressable market that is. 
um, who the actual customers are. We will go out and we'll talk to not only existing customers, but we'll talk to, uh, in our case at Iterable, we're, we're mostly serving marketers. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk to other marketers in the space who are not using our product today as well. And based off this kind of cross-section of not only quantitative data, but also mm-hmm. qualitative data in, in actually talking to people, we can get a pretty good cross-section of understanding um, what those, in this case, marketers are going through on a day-in and day-out basis, how they would actually use that product and or feature, um, and how we can, some ideas kind of in the back of our, our mind at that point, about how we would tie that feature or that launch into some of the pains that they identified. Um, as one of my, my colleagues from HubSpot said, Marcus Andrews, there's really been this like shift in messaging, right? Towards like narrative design. And so we've taken that really to, to account, right? It's no longer just about problem and, and solution. Sure. It's really about what the, the broader shift that you see kind of happening in the world is. And, and really at, at Iterable, uh, me and my team have, have really taken that into account. But doing the research to understand that shift, understand the actual pain points that the, the buyers are going through uh, is, is a must because you you'll really could, out, could miss the mark um, if you don't do that ahead of time. Yeah, I love that you call out um, qualitative research and actually talking to customers, because personally, from my experience, all the magic comes from actual conversations where you can you can hear how their voice sounds, you can dig into questions, you can read mm-hmm. between the lines. And personally, I've taken messaging, you know, straight from people's mouths, right? Because they just say it better than, than you could yeah. even say. You're like, oh yeah, that's exactly how I should have <laughs> positioned yeah. that benefit. Thank you for writing that for me. I mean, so how many interviews, you know, how many interviews would you do for a new product to launch? Saying this is like a, a major initiative. It's not just like a little feature. It's a big launch. I mean, how many people would you speak to? Yeah, I, I'll give you the, the, the classic answer that is, it, it depends, right? Um, uh, uh, I'm sure in all seriousness, I'm sure everyone says that, but um, I, I do think it, it does depend. For uh, here at Iterable, we, we tier our launches by small, medium, um, and, and or sorry, extra small, small, medium, and large. Mm-hmm. So um, for a, a large launch, I would do far more, you know. Right quantitative research as well as qualitative research than I yes. would, for example, with a, a small launch. Um, and with that in mind, uh, I, I, I do think it depends. Like I will generally set up anywhere between 10 and 20-ish um, uh, calls with, with different people. Um, but as I start to hear themes in those calls, as I start yeah. to hear feedback in those calls that, that mirrors one another, that's a point where I can like really zero in on that. Um, and maybe I only actually need six of those calls overall or right. something to that nature, but, um, you don't need to do a hundred different calls with a whole, a whole bunch of different people. Um, but you do need to make sure you keep digging in and asking these deep, insightful questions. I think the like Toyota five wise framework is, is a, actually a really, really good framework for that. Okay. Um, and, uh, once you get to, to that you know, core thread or core pain, and you hear it over and over and over again, um, then you've kind of found found your sweet spot there. And you can probably kind of push pause on it. That's right. It's a bit of thinking on your feet and and figuring out as you go. I like that. So um, you so you worked at HubSpot and now you're at Iterable. And obviously, you've been marketing to marketers for a long time, or yeah. largely marketing to marketers. 
Do you ever get to a point where you know so much that you can kind of ease off on the research? Oh, yeah, this is a, <laughs> this is a danger for a lot of product marketers. And I, I certainly know, uh, I've talked to a lot, certainly have, have known uh, some as well. Um, I, and I think it's classic, right? It's like, uh, gosh, when I was in, when I was in Little League and they got a great hit, I was like, oh, like I'm the best baseball player. Like I'm going <laughs> to the MLB, right? Like no, no problem, no, no problem about it. I think I still have my own baseball card, you know, over over in my room. But um, but anyway, uh, uh, I, I think the same kind of like you know bravado can can come into anybody's career, whether you're a PMM or or something else. Um, and uh, for PMMs, I think it can be especially dangerous because a lot of times we're driving a lot of that go-to-market strategy and, and obviously the messaging that goes along with that. And um, when we feel like we get to a place where we know the market so well that we don't need to talk to people in the market, like that's a red flag for me. Like, um, you know, wait a second, you're, you're probably going to miss the mark on something or somebody else is going to pass you by in that case. Um, so I think it can be extremely dangerous. Um I, I'm somebody who fundamentally just believes in the power of, of research and hearing that data. Uh, to, to your point um, about you know taking the actual words that people say and applying it in your messaging, I did that recently on a project oh, I was working you? on here at Iterable where um, I did a, a ton of qualitative interviews. I, I forget the exact number, but it was maybe around 17 or 18 or so. That's a lot, yeah. Um, and... Um, and once I started hearing some of that feedback, some of that same feedback, I, I knew to kind of push pause on the interviews, but, um, but I actually heard like these buckets of themes that were really, really good. And I was able to use those directly in my messaging in a way that I honestly, I totally would have missed some of those if not for that. I, I've been in MarTech now for, I don't know, 11, 12 years. There you go. Um, so you still get surprised. I, so some folks could maybe call me an expert. Uh, I don't call myself an expert. Some folks can call me that if I they want I think 11 to. years. I think after a decade, you become an expert. All right. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I, I, I still think I would have missed a lot of that. And whether you have 10 years, 20 years, five years, like whatever, uh, I, I, I think there's definitely that potential that you could miss some things if you're not paying attention to the market and really connecting with the market. Love it. So good. All right, Jeffrey. So tell me, you've got a slightly different take on persona development and the approach to actually creating your personas. So I'd love to hear about that. Uh, how do you approach it? Yeah, Emma, it's a, it's a great question. And and listen, I, I love personas. I'm a fan of personas <laughs> as, as a PMM. Uh, I don't want to be brandished as the, the PMM who... The anti-persona who, guy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, um, but that being said, I think a lot of uh, teams, a lot of companies, a lot of product marketers even take a lot of these like fictional details, wrap it into a persona, uh, assign a name to it and call it good. Um, yep. and, and, and listen, I'm a fan of, of some of those things at HubSpot. We called our persona marketing Mary and marketing <laughs> Mary evolved into marketing Michelle, um, actually. So totally, totally a fan of that. But, um, but I think uh, it, a lot of the, the data that you can use to build those personas um, oftentimes is, is skipped over or uh, you go talk to maybe a few sales reps or, or AEs or, or you know, whatever the titles are at your respective organization. And you think you, you know, maybe get a good idea of who you're actually serving, right. but maybe you're, you're selling the marketer similar to, to how I, I am, but you miss the fact that, well, 
the CIO is actually also involved in that buying conversation. And the head of legal also is involved to you know, check your contracts. And you have all these other people involved in the buying discussion that you're not thinking about because you're so laser focused on who the primary maybe champion is. Right. So, and, and it's very important to stay focused on the primary champion, just to be clear. But my approach to personas, it really starts with a ton of that research. Uh, here at Iterable, we recently kind of revamped a lot of our personas. We revamped our ICPs as well. And it all started with data. We looked into all of our existing um, uh, data internally on deals we've won, deals we've lost. Uh, we looked at uh, review data. We looked at, uh, we, we went out and we actually did qualitative interviews. Um, we talked to a whole bunch of uh, sales reps. We listened to a bunch of gong calls and there's probably a laundry list more things that I could you know rattle off that we also did. But the point being, we took a lot of data in before, <laughs> before we ever came up with you know a draft of, of these things. Once we had all of that information, it's actually pretty easy to like formulate some of this stuff. Right. You're, when you create ICPs or personas, you're not building a rocket ship. Um, right. You are kind of, it's kind of plug and play materials to a, lar- to a large extent. What industries do you serve? You know, what size of the companies? Uh, what does that person actually do day in and day out? What are the challenges that they experience? All of those types of things generally kind of meld together once you've done the research. And unless you've done the research, you probably get this little sense of like, ooh, how do I answer this question? Maybe, maybe it's like going back to, to high school, like didn't do your homework, surprise quiz, Make you know? Up. Um, uh, yeah, totally. Um, so um, so w- w- with that said, uh, it's, um, I-, I think it's so crucial to, to, do that, to, the, to do that research up front and use that data to guide what the personas and in, in ICPs fundamentally should be. Uh, as a way to derive your organization's understanding of how you actually market to them. And it doesn't stop when the personas or, or ICPs or whatever other document, it could be enablement materials, it could be launch materials, it could be anything else. It doesn't stop when that stuff is created. It stops when the, organi- when the organization is enabled and uh, that everyone can intelligently speak to those personas and they know the details of those personas. Right. Um, one thing that I, I like to say um, here at Iterable is the ICPs that we created is a map to the organization that we're selling to. It's understanding the, the actual company that we're, we're trying to target. Whereas the persona is a map to the individual. What questions do you want to ask them? What, what do you want to understand about that person? What challenges or struggles are they going through on a day-in-day-out basis? And I think I think that kind of um, a metaphor, I guess, is is a good good under good way of of thinking about these things. Um, but you're not going to get that map. Um, you're not going to find the treasure unless you unless you have that data to start with. I love that a map to the organization. That is really different from just that one person. You know, marketing Mary. I mean, I don't know if this is classified information, but why did she shift from marketing Mary to marketing Michelle? Did she get younger? (laughs) Um, No, it's a a great question. Um, I think marketing Mary, I'm probably going to get these dates wrong. I I apologize to to all my former HubSpot colleagues. Um, But um, I think marketing Mary came out sometime in 2010, maybe 11-ish. Okay. Um, uh, something to that nature. And uh, marketing 
uh, Mary hadn't been updated in quite a while. Okay. Um, and uh, I think it was 2016 or so that uh, we rolled out Marketing Michelle. And, and really the change between Marketing Mary and Marketing Michelle was uh, primarily that um, Marketing Michelle had become more technolo- technologically I was just thinking adept. it, right? Like yes, modernized. Is like using her phone. She's using Lyft and Uber and you know various apps to, to accomplish her work. She's familiar with logging into software. She, like there's, there's not this sense of hesitation to, you know, maybe jump into something like Google analytics or, or, or other tools for that matter. Um, and, and get their job done. So with that said, uh, that was the primary shift between Mary and Michelle and those, you know, whatever it was six years or, or so, um, uh, it, it was between that, um, were, were really the, the, um, was really, excuse me, the, the shift between, um, between, uh, Mary and Michelle. Yeah, no, she needed that makeover. She was ready. It was time, you know, yeah, it, was time. <laughs> it was time. So, um, so just to wrap up, I have to ask you the question I love asking all product marketers, which is, uh, what is the one word you would banish from product marketing copy, uh, for all of eternity, if you had the power? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, I have to pick, it's kind of two words, I guess, but I have to pick time savings. <laughs> um, I think, uh, no offense to any product marketers who are using it. I've certainly used it in my career. Um, but uh, I think if you pick time savings as your benefit of your product, um, then uh, it could could be, uh, I'm not saying it is, but it could be a red flag that you haven't quite done, dug deep enough on what your product is actually solving for or what your customers are actually getting benefit from, um, from your product. Um, It's so easy to say time savings is the benefit of your product. I've done it. um, A lot of software, pretty much all software benefits from time savings. Right. But, uh, but we, we really need to think as product marketers, like what's that layer we can drill a bit deeper on. We can do better, right. We can do better. 100%. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think I've ever, there are things that I use that save time for me, but I don't think I've ever thought, I love these time savings. It's always something else, right? What does the time saving enable you? You know, what can you do now that you've saved your time? But so that's a really good point because it's one of those words that just, it's so prevalent that it's, it normalizes it (laughs) when it's, it's not normal. So you, you hinted at a second one. Is there, I give you, I'll give you two words you can banish. You hinted at another one. Uh, The the other one I I could think of is, is seamless. Uh, Honestly, um, I think time savings is is the big one. I don't have, I don't have a, uh, I I don't want to banish seamless as, as much, but, um, but yeah, I I think seamless is, is a word that's, you know, we try to use to describe this connection between the product and the experience, but, um, but in a lot of ways, we can probably be a more evocative in, in the kind of word choice we're using and uh, where you could use a, $10 $10 word, use a $2 word, so to speak. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's time to hit up the thesaurus and find something better than seamless. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, it's been so awesome chatting with you, Jeffrey. Thank you so much for stopping by and spending some time. I've really enjoyed our chat. Thanks, Emma. I've really enjoyed it as well. Cheers for listening. For more messaging fun, sign up for my newsletter at punchy.co forward slash newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn and Twitter.